a very good day to you all. Uh, we're back after another month or so. Um, due to the response and to the ease of which we did the last episode with the with the bonus content and um, you know the flow of that, we have decided to now go weekly so that we can talk about more stuff and of course so that we have time to do the um, the full recommendation if we. If we have to read a big long book or if we have to watch a TV show, we have a little bit more space, a little bit more time. We'll 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 fill you in over the course of four episodes and we'll still have the big recommendation once a month where we talk about whatever was swapped through Pop Swap. Yeah, but, um, we, we hopefully we'll give you a lot more content, won't we, this way? Yeah. And like I say, it'll just be a bit more relaxed way of doing things that we, we don't have to worry about panicking to cram as much as we can into one episode and also leave you all hanging kind of waiting for when we have our delays hopefully exactly. that all can end now and we can give you as much content as possible yeah a we're a basis. little de- we're a little delayed this time because i had to move <laughs> apartment so um <laughs> there was a bit of argy bargy and not argy bargy what what's the word i'm looking for a little bit of logistics life thing yeah. getting in the way but anyway um we're back and we're going to go weekly and we're going to talk about all the stuff that we do rather than cram it into 45 minutes once a month. So, Dan, how should we start this episode off now? Um, oh, little disclaimer before I pass the torch on to you. Um, obviously, with the move and all of that, I was only able to watch a season and a half of Halt and Catch Fire, the previous mm-hmm. recommendation. So we're going to save that for when I'm entirely finished and that'll be maybe in a couple of weeks um, or in a week now that I'm all settled I can blast through it but um, give everyone else a bit of time as well yeah sorry I was actually going to mention that uh, you actually encountered a bit of technical difficulty as well with that didn't you because um, oh yeah I went and mentioned that it was available on, on Amazon Prime Video who are yes. not our official sponsors even though we keep <laughs> mentioning them all the time Um but unfortunately, they dragged that off of Amazon Prime Video of October of last year. And yeah. I'd watched it well before that. So that was a bit frustrating, to say the least. But yes, you've still managed to get hold of it to watch. And hopefully for you guys out there, you managed to source it from uh, somewhere else as well. You so can yeah, still apologies. rent it on Prime, but you have to buy it mm-hmm. through your account and blah 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 and I'm going that route because I've had a bit of difficulty streaming it online Um, it keeps stopping and starting and downloads aren't working so yeah I'm going that route Yeah. anyway Anyway. shall we talk about other things we've been uh, experiencing over the last month yeah sure why not Uh, do you want me to kick off or yeah go go for it Okay, um, so where do I begin? Uh, I guess I could mention some documentaries I've watched lately. Um, Very cool. On the BBC, available on the BBC iPlayer. And the first one is part of the Storyville series, which is like a an ongoing series of documentaries that BBC have been making for years. Um, this one's titled Whirlybird, Live Above LA. Cool. And it kind of tells the story of this journalist husband and wife couple uh, during the 80s and 90s in Los Angeles who I think they were kind of pioneers. They sort of invest in a helicopter 
uh, really early on before anyone else starts to do this. I think they see the police using the helicopters flying around the city and they decide to invest in helicopters and take their cameras out there and start shooting breaking news footage around the city. And um, the documentary itself, it's kind of made up from aerial footage that they shot at the time, along with talking head interviews with the couple, kind of Mm -hmm. exploring their relationship in quite a sort of moving and tragic way. Uh, It kind of treads some quite complex areas around the fact that the... This isn't a spoiler, but um, that the husband uh, transitioned and uh, is now a trans woman, um, present day, and mm-hmm. it talks about like how he kind of expressed his aggression. Um, sorry, uh, when he was a male, he was yeah. sort of expressed a lot of aggression to other people in his life when he was living as a man, and how she's kind of how she sort of deals with that now. Um, from like her point of view uh, as she's living her life now so it's uh it's it's quite heartbreaking at times it's quite mm. a tough watch but there's i don't know there's like there's quite the, an exciting sort of zippy energy to it at the beginning it it's quite an exciting watch um it kind of reminded me a little bit of the atmosphere of like the movie nightcrawler a little bit oh yeah uh, cool. with them kind of like going out of the city at night and some of the crazy stuff that goes on and uh i actually think nightcrawler was roughly inspired by a uh i think it was a vi- i'm sure i saw a vice documentary the once that was like a, a short on vice mm. that was about a guy that goes out doing exactly the same type of job that okay. jake and hall's character does in nightcrawler mm. and uh, i think it was influenced by that but uh yes yeah, so tony tony gilroy that wrote that movie wasn't it uh wrote and it was yeah movie. he's yeah. good i really like him he is good he's one yeah. to watch uh-huh. So, um, uh huh. So, what but, other documentaries were you? Yeah, sorry, that one was great and uh, well worth checking out. And the other one was, I think I've mentioned him to you before, actually. Uh, the filmmaker Adam Curtis, yeah, documentarian, and his latest uh, series is called "Can't Get You Out of My Head." Okay. And if you've never seen any of his work before, anyone listening, then he kind of uses footage from the BBC archive along with like some really interesting music choices and editing choices and he kind of narrates these films that tend to explore like things like social behavior and historical events and all these different aspects of like uh, culture and politics and uh, but he does it in a in a really engaging way and his his documentaries um I don't know they they kind of this one in particular it sort of tends to focus on ideas that kind of explore like our psychological and social kind of how that side of our lives and our political lives have sort of brought us all to a place where I guess technology sort of failed us in the way it hoped to kind of like liberate society in the way we might have hoped it it would have done. Um, Yeah. And he kind of like presents this idea that maybe we need a new myth or a collective story as a way of saving ourselves from the mess that we've sort of landed ourselves in. Right. Um, but he kind of does that in a really uh, interesting way, like the rest of his films, when you see them, he kind of stitches together lots of varying stories of mm. lots of different fascinating people and ideas, and he kind of like brings them all together into one big narrative in a really smart way. Um, there was yeah, a, a, he's great. a guy you recommended I watch one time. It was a similar um, 
just reminded me. Um, mm-hmm. What was his name? He was talking about the dangers of social media. Was it that kind of vibe or just more uh, yeah. based on technology uh, rather than? Jared, Jared Lanier, is it? Yes, Jared Lanier, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it that yeah, kind of? Si- similar-ish, yeah. So he, he taps into some of the issues that I guess he, he, he taps into some similar things to do with technology, but um, mm. I don't know, like uh, Adam Cur- Curtis doesn't really sort of focus strictly on technology. He's, he's it's like the much, much bigger picture of like right. a lot of things. Like say it explores like social behavior and he explores, explores psychology and explores lots of aspects of history and politics and economics and stuff, but not in a way that's like sort of feels like it's a heavy slug to digest. It's like, it, cause, cause he makes the films the way that he makes them. Yeah. Um, if anything, the stuff that like really sticks with me after I've watched his stuff, it's not really, not so much the ideas that are presented, though they are absolutely fascinating, it's more like just like the audio visual experience of watching them. Sometimes there's like re- he just manages to pair really interesting footage with really interesting music at times. Yeah, and he creates these really memorable moments that just kind of stay with you afterwards. Uh, and bizarrely, like a it wasn't something I picked up on until I started watching that recent one. But I've noticed also he's got a. a an unusual fascination with dancing <laughs> like he always seems he always seems to put in footage of people throughout history dancing at some stage into the documentaries and i like, don't know if he's aware that he's doing it but like tarantino with feet yeah, yeah it's yeah. just he must be fascinated with dance and yeah. he, i'm not sure if he's if he's, that's a conscious choice or not but uh, yeah that's always in his stuff um but i think i told you to start off with him watching the century of the self yeah. which is a good place to start and after that, maybe the power of nightmares. After that is another good one as well. But yeah, uh, from what I gather from from what, how you talk about him is he's just a very visual storyteller. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, he'll present a certain idea. Like I'm just guessing, he'll present a certain idea, but then not exactly beat you over the head with it. But he'll present them in a very kind of visual way, so you can see whatever you want to see in it i guess is that yeah 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 there's a and there's definitely moments that are quite abstract where they're not even really connected so much to maybe some of the bigger ideas that are being explored or sort of spoken about in the rest of the footage but like he he just has these little departures these little moments where it's just about making you feel something and i I think like that unlike a lot of his stuff because when you hear his voice if uh, you're listening to him and uh I guess if you were from anywhere else, like it, if you weren't like um like my background, like as a Brit listening to him, he's got he's got like this very well spoken sort of like British intellectual kind of like delivery, uh, which just how he sounds. Right. But there's there's this really subversive like quality to the work that he makes, and he's got quite a punky sort of attitude into the the stuff that he puts together, and he's uh he kind of like seems like say to really focus on the actual feeling of watching something as much as the ideas that are being fed into your head, like uh, that matters as much to him, like when you're watching his stuff. Um, But yeah, he's great. Um, Yeah, so well worth checking out on BBC iPlayer if you've got the time to to look at those. How about you? Sorry. Those two documentaries, what were the names again? Sorry to recap on them. Yeah, so uh, Storyville uh, series on BBC iPlayer and it was called Whirlybird Live Above LA. Oh yeah, and then can't get you out of my head. 
Um, and I think the BBC archive have started to archive a lot of Adam Curtis's work as well. So you can get hypernormalization and Bitter Lake. They're all on there as well to check cool. out. Very cool. Yes, yeah, so that's me anyway. What uh, about yourself? What have you been checking out? So I guess during the move, um, I I kind of parked the, the recommendation you gave me for a little bit. And um, while packing in the background, <laughs> we basically binged the entire the entirety of the office. <laughs> um, so that's, it's basically what I've been doing for the last month. Um, uh, the UK office or American office? The American one. The American one. Okay. Um, yeah. The UK one is a little, a little a touch too dark and cringe for my taste. <laughs> Even though okay. I very much like Ricky Gervais. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know why I'd never gotten around to the office, but um, <laughs> it's great. It definitely dips. It definitely dips in quality the later it goes, but the mm-hmm. early seasons are fantastic. Steve Carell, genius, absolute genius. And I, what I really like about the show is not only like you know, the themes, the, the, the office behavioral quirks the idiosyncrasies of people in a in a tight little working space but the fact that um it's such a small team that do it so the producers the writers the showrunners it's all the same people and they all do a bit of everything so like Mindy Kaling for example was a writer for most of the run of the show but also played one of the characters I just found out last week that the actor that plays Toby, who's the HR guy, was a showrunner for four seasons, an executive producer for the whole thing, and a writer for all nine seasons. So I was like, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, all right. So that was like his training ground for his work as a filmmaker. Yeah. He was a quiet place, didn't he, after that, yeah? Um, no, that that's John oh, Krasinski. Am I thinking of someone else? Ah, I'm getting mixed so up. So John okay. Krasinski plays Jim, and he was also he also directed a couple episodes, and that was mm-hmm. where all of these people kind of honed their craft, which I thought was cool, because I'm a big fan of the Apatow crew. Mm-hmm. So all the 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 that team that make those comedies, um, seemingly all got their start in and around The Office, which I didn't really realise. So like Mindy Kaling as well. Um, Another name I kept seeing was Paul Feig, who directed Bridesmaids um, and obviously worked with um, with Judd Apatow on that film. He directed probably 90% of the first two seasons um, and well, and carried on as well. But I just kept seeing his name, especially around season two or three, I kept seeing his name which I think is pretty cool. But um, it has that small family vibe and it translates into the show. So even though I know maybe some people may prefer the British one or depending on your sensibilities, you might prefer one or the other. I think for my current mood, um, the the American one definitely suited me down to the ground. But um, it also has the best, the best, I'm going to make a statement here. 
It has the best on-screen romance I have ever seen. <laughs> it has the best written on-screen romance I have ever seen. Jim and Pam are exceptionally well written and brilliantly acted as well. So the two actors, John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher, have amazing chemistry. And it starts off quite like a very realistic office, you know, bit of flirtation back and forth. They do random things together. Um, Jim is kind of the, you know, he doesn't really care. So he's just there to earn a paycheck and he's very relatable. I feel like he's the most us <laughs> character, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And Jenna Fisher plays Pam, who's the, the receptionist. And they kind of sit facing each other from at a distance, you know. And Jim likes to play pranks. And she gets in on it and they have little backs back and forth. And it's all very natural. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't even feel like it's written, you know. It feels with the documentary style and the single camera shots. It feels real. It feels like you're watching two real people really grow into a relationship, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's actually a highlight for me. You mentioned there of the original, like of the yeah. original UK version. Yeah, yeah, that's... To me, that's what that's one of the highlights of of that is that relationship as well. Um, so I think so I think that, they must that, be quite influenced that by that. Built out from so like I know Martin Freeman played the equivalent, yeah, Tim, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Dawn is it? I think Dawn was the yeah, right. Okay, the so character. they took that relationship and yeah, they've kind of translated that from the sounds of things because I've not actually seen, I've seen a few right. episodes of the American one, but mm. I've obviously seen all of the British one, but it sounds, because to me, like despite some, maybe some of the things the show was more renowned for, which was like you say, maybe that, that cringe nature of comedy and those sort of, those iconic moments that get played back again and again. Like for me, the highlight of like, the strength of Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's work hmm. is like that real believable sort of heart, that, yeah. that quality of it where you've got those relationships that seem completely believable. And uh, for me, like that's what I loved about The Office and extras in particular as well. Yeah. Like I, I, that's even stronger for me, like in, for some of those moments that they managed to like really pull at your heartstrings, not in a crass sort of like cheesy way, in a, in a genuine sort of way that you can hmm. believe. Um, I don't think they get enough credit for that, really, as comedians. Um, but that is what puts, their strength. What, the only thing that puts me off um, the UK one, and I will go back and watch that now after I've seen this one, mm-hmm. um, is that I I read online and I see that, you know, David Brent, that character, is just purely unlikable and purely a dick. Uh, whereas... Michael Scott, the American version, the American equivalent with Steve Carell, he starts off the same, exact same way, the same stereotypical, you know, snide, sneaky, snaky little boss. He grows into someone who's just really lovable and kind of a bit stupid, um, becomes almost a bit caricature-ish, but you really love him, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that maybe is what puts me off watching the UK version because I don't have that hook in with the main character, yeah. you know. But again, I could totally be prejudging it. Like, I don't know, you know. Yeah, well, as, as David Brent sort of 
plays out. It's not it's not a sense at the end that like you don't get that feeling of like oh no now I love this character, but you you certainly feel sorry for him on quite a few occasions because it, it just more plays out that like his you you become aware that his persona in the sh- in the show is actually him being aware that he's being filmed. Yeah. So he's so, he's so self-conscious of the fact that a documentary is being made about him yeah. that he, he he it's his chance to like impress the viewers. He's like yeah. a fa- he's a fail in his head. He's a failed entertainer. He wants to be loved by people yeah. and liked by them and he just overcompensates and then you get these little glimpses beyond that where you see the real person underneath all that. Mm. And you feel quite sorry for that person, and you kind of get an understanding as to why he behaves like such a twat when you get yeah. those little moments in between. Yeah, but uh, yeah, like it, it, it kind of you have to go through it all to to get a sense of that. What um, I think, um, yeah. what I think then from what I read is that maybe that doesn't translate well to American audiences. That's the feeling mm-hmm. that I get. You know, that maybe those little subtlety, those moments of subtlety may not translate well to American audiences because they just see the kind of crass British humor. If mm-hmm. um, if that's what it is, I don't know. But um, I totally want to go back because this way as well, the UK version is only 12 episodes. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'll watch that in like 30 minutes. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, um, I've just been watching watching The Office, to be honest. Um, there was one more show that I did mm-hmm. start, um, and that was The Man in the High Castle on Amazon Prime. Oh yeah, cool. Um, so basically what I've been doing during the move is just kind of comfort watching The Office and having a bit of a laugh. But The Man in the High Castle, we started it two days ago we already finished season one and it's amazing <laughs> oh great um, so obviously just so people uh, can get a gist of it it's based on a book by Philip K. Dick who is a very famous author um, predominantly does a bit of uh, sci-fi um, would have written the original novels that uh, inspired Blade Runner and several other projects but um the man in the high castle is about an alternate history essentially after world war Two. so what if germany won the war what if the axis powers won the war and it's set in america and america is now divided into the basically the japanese empire specific i was about to say specific pacific <laughs> states and the greater nazi reich which is on the east coast and then there's like a neutral zone in the middle. So you've got all these little political, interesting political divides going on. But what really amazes me is all the characters have complexity and there is no one stereotypical villain, which is crazy when you have Nazis in the show. <laughs> uh, and I'm really impressed by it because Sometimes I find myself feeling sorry for the character that Rufus Sewell is playing. And I really like Rufus Sewell as an actor. I think he plays great villains. But his character in this is kind of tragic. Um, and it feels sometimes like, well, this is what you know. You know, it really makes you think of like, okay, well, 
some of these characters, especially the younger ones, don't know any other world. So they don't mm-hmm. automatically know that Nazis are bad. You know, it's this is just the world that they've they've grown up in. And it really plays with that in a fascinating way. Um, so you have one of the lead characters is essentially a Nazi agent. Um, and they're trying to track down these films that are being distributed like in secret by like the resistance. And in the films, you see an alternate world, an alternate world, which is our world, where the Allies won the war. And you get a woman whose sister is part of this. And then the sister is killed and that's kickstarts the whole the whole show. Now, the Nazi agent, you never know which side he's really on. <laughs> the girl, you never know what she's going to do next. Um, her like boyfriend uh, is dragged into all of this in a really tragic way. I'm not going to spoil anything. But you mm-hmm. also like they play with him in a really interesting way where you don't know where he's going to go. So it just it's the kind of show that once it ends, you need to watch the next episode, which is all I want from a TV show. <laughs> so in two days, I've watched the first 10 episodes. We started the first episode of season two and we're getting already a little bit of like potential elements of small bits of sci-fi so maybe a little bit more philip k dick than um i initially interesting yeah so uh there are some hints of sci-fi beginning and i'm liking it a lot because it's not slapping you in the face it's just very subtle elements that i'm not going to tell you but Mm -hmm. you can see something else starting to to bubble but the best character is by far Rufus Sewell's character. He plays the um, Obergruppenführer, so the Nazi general, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and he's an excellent, excellent character because he's not as one-dimensional as those kinds of characters typically are in these kinds of shows or movies or whatever. There you go. But um, yeah. Even Nazis are people too. Even Nazis are people too, yeah. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> <laughs> Said Philip K. Dick, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's I. My my last month has been quite uneventful in terms of in terms of content. I've been watching The Office, and and I watched that two days ago. So um, the only other thing that I have to update you on is um, I read the first book of Invincible. Uh, which is a comic series and the TV show or the animated series adaptation will be coming out next week on Amazon Prime. I feel like we're always promoting shit that's coming out on Amazon Prime. Why? (laughs) I don't know. But I read the first book and it's kind of a a homage, tribute, parody of, we'll say Spider-Man and Superman. But if the dad was a really narcissistic dick of a god um and it's pretty entertaining it's standard so far but i i'm I'm only the first book of 12 um so i assume it'll play with those tropes and you know stereotypes and then play it and mess it up as it goes on but mm-hmm. that's basically what i've been doing for the last uh last month nice 
what else was on the menu for today, Dino? Uh, I could mention maybe some movies. I've been checking out some movies uh, just a few recently. Um, not masterpieces by any means, but uh, uh, the first one I guess I was quite surprised by was uh, Greenland, which mm-hmm. is pretty much like your bog standard disaster pick. And it stars Gerard Butler, who, I don't know, he's never really grabbed me as an actor in his previous roles over the years, to be honest with you. I don't mind him, but he's just like, I, I find it hard to kind of engage with him much as a performer. Uh, he's he's you know. good at what he does. He is, but, yeah. But he, he chills a, a lot of Yeah, he, do, <laughs> he chills us a lot of shit, to be yeah. fair. Yeah, maybe just bad selections, but... um yeah. He does a good job in this of being like this sort of everyman figure. Yeah. Who's kind of like looking out for his family and stuff. And you kind of like, you buy into that and you you uh, you sort of think like, yeah, I want this guy to kind of get through this sort of end of the world scenario that he's in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it kind of like, it sort of plays out that scenario um, in a way like this sort of like apocalyptic scenario about like how the country itself might react to like what is a bit of a sci-fi cliche, like sort of meteorites coming to destroy the Earth, sort of thing. Deep um, impact Armageddon. Type yeah, stuff. that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But it does do it in a way where you actually, I don't know, you kind of actually care about the characters, uh, which is pretty refreshing for that type of thing. Because mm. I, I genuinely expected it to be a pretty trashy experience when I was kind of reading up about it. And yeah, I just felt like switching my brain off and putting something like that on. But for me, it's like I don't know kind of like maybe one of the most enjoyable experiences that that type of thing I've seen since possibly Spielberg's War of the Worlds like it's a it's a decent enough um disaster film uh it's not a masterpiece by any means yeah uh, but if you want to be entertained for a few hours and kind of watch the end of the world then uh, yeah 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 check it out it's pretty good I saw the trailer yeah. and I'm not going to lie I said ugh <laughs> yeah. but It'll surprise you, I think. I thought that it might be just a good thing to to whack on if you're if you're in those kind of moods of like ah I don't want to watch something too heavy too you know where I don't have to think too much I'm just let's have a bit of a laugh and laugh at it or laugh with it yeah yeah Yeah, it's not really that even because it's not it's not it's not bad it's it's not it's not bad or dumb it's like when you watch it it's not one of these ones where you laugh and go this is like a cheesy B movie like it's actually You actually care quite a bit, like say, about the characters, and and okay. actually it spends it spends enough time in an interesting way with its supporting characters that it kind of shows what I liked about it is it it almost shows like the idea of like in a crisis like that the heroism of the fact of like these people who are in that moment not selfishly just thinking about themselves they're actually like wanting to help other people. And yeah. then, because like the typical thing is like the selfish behavior is like everything goes to shit and the world's chaos and people are just all looking out for themselves. But it does have some nice little moments with these supporting characters where they do things to sort of show like the positive side of humanity a little bit, which I liked. And the yeah. fact that they kind of spent a bit of time on the script to concentrate on that, that was good. Yeah, so worth checking out. And then the other one I thought I'd mention, only on the basis that it annoyed me so much, <laughs> is... Uh, called Run, Hide, Fight, which okay. is basically Die Hard meets The Breakfast Club, which what? is pretty much the pitch I'm sure they gave for the movie Red Dawn when <laughs> that got yeah. commissioned back in the 80s. But basically, it kind of takes the idea of 
a pretty sensitive subject, which is American school shootings. And it decides to take the angle of turning that into quite a entertaining, heroic story of like this young schoolgirl who stands up to her fellow armed schoolmates uh, My God. by picking up a weapon herself. And then she sort Jesus. of lays down some good old fashioned American gun toting justice <laughs> against wow. the bad guys. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. What what bugged me the most about it, to be honest with you, is the fact that it's actually, it's it's really well made. It's it's quite it's whoever's the people that have put this together have done a decent mm. job of putting it together, and the acting's not too bad, and it is entertaining to watch. But that's what irritated me so much is it kind of like massively misses the point of yeah. the issues that it's dealing with, and yeah. with real like the real issues at hand with that subject matter, and sort of facing the facts. In my opinion, and this might be a political statement, but if you didn't allow everyone to go around owning firearms in your country, then maybe you might have less school shootings taking place. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't I think really that's common sense. Yeah, it doesn't really address that issue at all. Instead, yeah. the solution it presents you with is like kids basically be prepared to fight back with more firepower. If you imagine yourself in this kind of absurd Hollywood scenario that the character's in, then you too might survive your next school shooting incident. It's a very really? common. It's a very very common mentality <laughs> in America, though. Just the the yeah, we can fight yeah. back the power, we fight back the thing, and if you take up <laughs> arms, like like I think less guns is probably the answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean but, you've yeah. you've even got this scene. This this perfectly. Gets my point across. You've you've even got this scene where like the uh, the heroine's army vet father, like he's uh, he uses his like ex sniper skills from the war to save his daughter's life at just the right moment. Like he sneaks past the police by like doing that thing where like you hide underneath the truck and cling onto the truck as it drives away, right. and <laughs> and then he kind of like sneaks out from underneath there, and then he finds himself a little spot out by a tree somewhere, and just at a moment where we're kind of watching his daughter have a confrontation and she's just about to get killed by the bad guy, he manages to just, like, see his head through the window and take off a shot, not knowing who he's shooting at. It just happens to, like, just shoot anyway, just hoping that, like, it's the head of a school child that is about to attack his daughter. <laughs> then he um, walks off in slow motion and we all go, America, fuck ex- yeah. Exactly, yeah. It was like at that point that I expected, like, the Star Spangled Banner to play and then yeah. you'd have this montage of, like, e- eagles soaring through the sky and then the flag <laughs> gets raised. <laughs> Freedom! Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit fucking ridiculous, to be honest with you. <laughs> it... Although, like afterwards, I did a bit of research, and it came as no surprise to me. Like, what, that I, it turned out that this cinematic gem, right, was actually the first movie of Ben Shapiro's production company. Oh wow! So that yeah. doesn't surprise me at that all. That kind of explains it a bit, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Again, not to get yeah. too political, but still. <laughs> yeah, it kind of told me. It all is I what it know. is. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you've it. actually just reminded me um, that I'm gonna take it a bit less right wing now (laughs) (laughs) I I watched um, I did actually watch something new Um, Mm -hmm. I watched a film on Netflix called Moxie um, oh right okay which I was at first put off watching because I saw the the trailer and I was like this is Booksmart you know and I just saw Booksmart Mm -hmm. Um, 
But we watched it. And when it started, I was very intrigued to learn that it's Amy Poehler's directorial debut. Um, okay. Which I really like Amy Amy Poehler. Um, and I think she wrote it as well. So I was like, oh, cool. Let's, let's get into this. Mm-hmm. And it is a standard teen coming of age comedy. It's fun. It's fine. It doesn't do anything particularly new. Um, but it, it's also a little bit aggravating because it does slap you in the face with its politics. Now, yeah. I hate going down this road. The movie is a very feminist film and I like that it is. And I really like the message that it portrays. But there are one or two moments in the film that deal with certain sensitive subjects, for example, rape, Mm -hmm. that how it's handled in that moment, I really question, is that really the best thing to do here for that person and and their mental health, you know? But Mm -hmm. watch the film, um, make up your own mind, everything else surrounding the film, like the... The, the little the, the the young girl um that takes it upon herself to call out subtle um sexism in school and not so subtle sexism in school and then starts this movement kind of in the shadows in the background is very is very cool and really really interesting uh young character but I did find that some of the characters to be a bit one-dimensional and a bit just there to serve the purpose of the message mm-hmm. rather than having real characters in the film if that makes sense that's what bothered me about it not the <laughs> ideology of the film by the way yeah um just to make that abundantly clear <laughs> but um the some of the characters felt like they were just there to preach whatever was written on the page to you you know and oh, sometimes okay. i like it coming out of real characters and real dialogue so yeah yeah. anyway that was i just remembered that i did watch that (laughs) cool uh if i've got time to mention it actually if we're going to cram in just additional stuff that we have seen just because it's so good and i've got to give it a mention before we we finish if i can but uh yeah i saw um russell t davis uh he did an excellent mini series recently enough which i'm sure you people have probably heard about because it's getting great reviews anyway um mm-hmm. called uh, it's a sin which is about the uh 80s aid epidemic in the uk and um okay yeah it's just brilliant it's just really sort of profoundly moving at times and then it's quite sweet and it's quite funny at other times um and he does such like an efficient job of writing it like he i think it's about mm-hmm. five episodes long uh, sorry, yeah, five episodes long and each man- le- length about 45 minutes. And he manages yeah. to kind of do in that time what most American dramas sort of fail to do in five seasons. Like he just like, you feel really invested in the characters and you kind of know them inside out by the time it's finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's just a really great bit of television. Um, yeah. Well worth checking out. Uh, I don't know if uh, if anyone listening has actually seen it and they loved it. Um, then like just I'm a big fan of Russell T Davis and his writing uh, he also did another great mini series worth checking out called Second Coming uh, where he's got uh, his ex Doctor Who star Chris Frackleston. Uh he plays 
uh, a man who may or may not be Jesus who's returned to the UK, uh, which <laughs> sounds like a bit of a nuts idea, but it's done yeah. in such a great way. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. It's been a big it reminds fan of me his. of that movie, The uh, Last Man on Earth. Have you ever seen that? Last Man on Earth. I'm not sure if I have, a actually. Very, very small, independent film. Just a group mm. of friends getting together for, like, dinner or something. Yeah. And one of the characters starts to tell a bunch of stories and you start to realise that the guy is, like, immortal <laughs> or <laughs> okay. really, really old. Uh-huh. And then it's kind of left ambiguous or up in the air that he may be Jesus. Oh, or, okay. like, it's it's quite interesting as well written. Yeah. Very low budget, but it's mm-hmm. cool. Nice. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Russell T. Davis is great. Yeah. Uh, I've always been a big fan of his. So lots of his stuff's worth checking out. Obviously, it's Doctor Who run. I think Midnight that he wrote, that's probably my all time favourite Doctor Who episode. It's very good. So. Another little bit of uh, news, perhaps, for the podcast is um, I did leave out one thing that uh, I could have talked about, but I may talk about now in on another episode in a new segment that we want to start doing called The Binge, where we pick perhaps a TV show or anything that we've binged, and we kind of dedicate one of the weekly episodes to just, or at least a, a good chunk um, maybe half an hour or so of the weekly episodes to to discuss. Um, and I think next time I'll discuss WandaVision. <laughs> I have a lot of oh, thoughts. Cool. Um, I watched it all. And before the finale came out, I rewatched all of it in a binge. And um, yeah, I have thoughts. I thought it was one of the best things Marvel have done on screen yet. Um, oh, great. Slight disappointment with the very end but okay um amazing show throughout i'm very creative not at all what you expect definitely heavily influenced by some of the drug fueled comics that i've read over the years <laughs> um which makes for unpredictable tv but yeah. um yeah it was really good and and hopefully that we can make that little segment a thing on the podcast in the future once we uh you know these these Shows start coming out on Disney Plus as well. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is starting next week, so I'm gonna bore mm-hmm. you over the next few weeks with this, <laughs> with this Marvel content, Dino. Anyway, cool. We could start doing that. Stay tuned. Yeah, I might get some fresh voices doing that as well, might we as well? Because uh, yeah, if we're gonna do that segment, we were thinking that whoever recommended the binge to us could also be that. Could uh, you could have. Uh, just a bit of a break from it being this pairing and maybe listen to some other voices as well. That yeah, be nice. exactly. Because, you know, I was mm-hmm. talking to a friend who was also binging one division and we were theorizing back and forth and chatting about it, who also has a knowledge of the comics as well. And we'll 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 get another another couple of voices onto the onto the show as well. And you're watching The Expanse as well, which was recommended by another of I our did, friends. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's definitely be a choice. So yeah. yeah. I think that that uh, little segment will be cool for the show. So stay tuned. Cool. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Are we coming? I guess we should come to a close now, maybe reaching the end. Is yeah. it um, time for perhaps my recommendation for you for next month? 
I oh wonder. yes, why not? Actually, yeah, it's a good idea. Considering um, you're you're still working your way through yours, so yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll give me a choice. That'd be nice. I guess while I work my way through through mine, which we can get to maybe in two weeks, and then we can talk about this recommendation I have for you in another two mm-hmm. weeks after that. Um, but this time, well, actually, last time I also got you to read something, but this time I'm going to get you to read something again. <laughs> Good. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to do that. <laughs> I was I was thinking this time we're going to read something. Well, you know. Anyway, uh, the recommendation you gave me was watching something, but I'm going to get you to read something. Outcast, which oh, is okay. a cool. very cool comic book series. It's quite short. It's uh, 47 or 8 issues thereabouts. You can get it all on Comixology. You can read it all online by certain means, if you wish. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is written by Robert Kirkman, who is the creator of The Walking Dead. Walking Dead, yes. And this one deals more with, I was about to say it's more supernatural than The Walking Dead, but The Walking Dead has zombies. But, you know, this one is more (laughs) demons and possessing, possessing, possession, demonic possession. And this one guy who seems to have an ability to exercise demons from people. Um, And gradually we kind of learn why and there's a bit of magic and it's quite subtle. But the thing that keeps you reading are the characters. Characters are great. And he is excellent at that kind of the comics writing mechanics of like the A A plot, B plot and C plot that just keeps you turning the page and keeps you wanting to go to the next issue once an issue ends. Um, Mm. So like each issue will end on the cliffhanger which becomes the the main plot of the next issue and then that ends on a cliffhanger and then it just spirals on from there. It's a great read. I read the whole series in maybe two days. So um, you'll probably you'll probably fly through it. So yeah, Outcast by Robert Kirkman. Great. Look forward to checking that out. Aye. So um, I think we could wrap it up for this week, Dean. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yes. So tune in next week, uh, and then yeah, if you're uh, if you're fans of the show, if you're enjoying listening, um, then by all means, uh, please help support us by. Either leaving us a nice review if you can, uh, just spread the word to friends yeah. um, about the show if uh, you're enjoying it, and hopefully you can tell them that there's not going to be as long a wait <laughs> this yeah. time around. That we'll actually have more content on a regular basis, and uh, if you're feeling extra generous, then you can also uh, donate to us um, through the. There's a link in the description of our podcast as well. But yeah, thanks yeah. for listening. Follow us on Spotify, on Red Circle, on Apple Music, and all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. See ya.